In the spirit of reconciliation, Grab the Trace acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Welcome to the Grab the Trace podcast, a home design show to help you deliver your next project to its full potential. I'm architect Lachlan Anderson, and I'm joined by my co-host, interior designer Michaela Garrick. If you're looking for some tips and secrets for your next project, be it a new home, renovating, or even just picking what window furnishings would best suit your space, we have you covered. Whilst we'll try to help as much as possible, this podcast is of a general nature and won't be able to take into account your individual circumstance. If you need personalised advice, you should engage a relevant professional consultant to help make the best decisions for your situation. This week, we're talking about what we're referring to as the building blocks of home design. So stick around, pull up your plans, and let's grab the trace. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Grab the Trace podcast. We hope you have the chance to listen to our first episode on mood boards and you got as much out of it as we did. I'm joined once again by Michaela, my co-host. Oh, hi, guys. Now, Michaela, this week, we're talking about the building blocks of home design. Is that correct? We are. We are. I can't wait to get into it. Fantastic. Now, before we do get into it, mm. we've got a few housekeeping items once again. As always. First of all, thank you everyone for reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. I see those cheeky three little five-star reviews. If you want to do a written review, we're more than happy to read it out on the podcast. So hit those up, send them in to go along with it. So as I was saying, we've gotten a couple of five-star reviews. So thank you very much everyone for that. We did get quite a lot of traction, a bit of followerage followerage from our posts about the Inspiration Grams from last week. So thank you everyone. Speaking of Inspiration Gram. Here we go, another week. It's time, it's time everybody. I'll go first once again. My pick this week, I've been thinking about my picks from the last two weeks and yes, they've been stunning additions to everyone's life but I really needed to pull out the big guns today. After looking at the response we received from the Georgie Shepherd post, I've got to pull out the big guns. So everyone, this week we are diving deep into the Thornbury townhouses, a project by Fowler and Ward Architects. I'll let the finished photos kind of speak for themselves, but this one's a little bit of an interesting one as well. So you heard me right, I said townhouses. So in this development, we had a combined effort between a family and I think it might have even been the husband's parents or the wife's parents. And we're talking about a townhouse where on one side of the wall lives the husband and the wife and the newborn baby. And on the other half of the wall, I think a couple of days a week live their parents really close, able to help out with all the things you need to do with the new bub. So sorry, I'm stalking all these photos while I think it's a really, really nice development. And one of the main benefits potentially you are listeners getting out of it is especially with the way housing prices are going up. And I mean, this is all based on the fact that you might have a good relationship with your parents as well. But if you can potentially think of it this way, you're splitting all of the costs. You don't have to buy a block of land individually. You can buy a block of land as a a partnership between the the two groups. You can split construction costs. There's efficiencies to that because it's one continuous build as opposed to two separate builds. Even all the consultant costs, like they engaged Fowler and Waters, the architects, you're essentially paying half of an architect to get something designed to you. I think it's a really cool thing to do. So that's my pick for this week. Michaela, wow us. All right, guys, here we go. So Michaela's pick of the week. So last week I obviously did Georgie Shepherd. And if you already haven't had a chance, please do go onto our Instagram, have a look at the photos there. Absolutely stunning. There's some gorgeous materials, use of materials, design, palette. It's absolutely stunning. But this week... I have chosen, again, another beauty, another interior designer, Australian-based as well, and her name is Lucy Bock, and in particular, her Turak house. So again, hopefully, I'm going to upload some photos tomorrow onto our Instagram of the Lucy Bock Turak house, and it is... Oh my Lord, I've just pulled it up. I told you. Unreal. I told you. Now, it might not be everyone's cup of tea when they look at it in terms of colours or palette or even style... However, the details of this project, it is insane. There is, it all stems from, if you go to this first photo that I'll upload onto about the project is the dining space. Now in this dining space, they've got this beautiful featured textured glass cabinet. And from that, this whole apartment has taken details based off this cabinet. So there's some beautiful geometric designs. There's some textured glass. They've kind of taken that design and then just carried it through in every single space. So if you go to the kitchen and you see these stunning images of an island bench, there's this geometric cutout, how they've used two-toned 
stone, how they've applied it. They've got herringbone floors, which again is replicating that geometric design. You go to this freestanding furniture piece like cabinet in the kitchen and internal, they've got these like beautiful plum, almost like aubergine colored cabinets internally. Then you go into the living space and it's got the same continuation of palette and stone and materials, but it's got this, you know, beautiful plush velvet lounge in that rich purple tone. So definitely that is my pick of the week. Please enjoy, give it a like on Instagram, have a look, even look at her other projects. Absolutely stunning. And I'm sure in future weeks, I'll be happy to go through some more Lucy Bock projects. There we go. All right, everybody. Now it's over to the segment that everyone loves. Oh, we've got home hacks. Home hacks. I'm going to kick it off again this week with something a little more... I guess, architecturally inclined. Oh, he's coming into his own, guys. He wants to show me up. I think he's been a little bit like, I'm ready too to much flex. interiors. I'm Here ready to flex. I'm ready, I'm ready to progress from sheer curtains at the moment. At the moment, I will be back. I want to talk just briefly about external colors and some considerations. I'm sure we'll do an episode in the future about colors and painting, but just some, some kind of basic stuff that I want to pass on that I actually learned when I went to university. Black is a pretty dark color. Can you agree with that, Michaela? Um, yeah, look, I, it's actually a lack of color, but yep. That's even a, that's a better <laughs> point. So black also has the trait of high absorbance in terms of solar radiation. So I've got a little infograph here that kind of jogged my memory, but black has an absorption rating of about 98%. So if you shine the sun at a wall, and it's painted in black, 98% of that will be retained in that brick or at least held for a period of time. It will dissipate and spread out. To give you a comparison, white is only 20%, so much more reflective. Where this will come into play for you at home mainly will be roof colours. So when you're picking your roof, and this, this will do an episode on passive design, don't worry, I won't leave you in the lurch. White roofs will result in a cooler house in the climate that we're in. We're in Brisbane, it's hot summers, and even though winters are cool, it's still pretty hot. So if you've got a light or a white colored roof, you're gonna be bringing in less heat through that layer. And then if you add on a few layers of insulation underneath there, beautiful. Black can be mitigated through additional insulating layers and some reflective foil put in the ceiling. That's a really important effort to make if you are gonna go black, just to make sure that it's comfortable and you're not having to blast the air conditioning all year round. Another thing that I was talking to you earlier about, Michaela, was when you're looking at a galvanized roof, even though to the eye that looks like a lighter colored roof, because there's no pigment or color associated with it and it's reflective, when we were doing this at university, there was a few experiments we kind of did. The galvanized roofs or the reflective roof sheeting didn't hit a peak. It just kept accelerating in terms of the amount of or how hot the, the surface of it got, where black would tap out at a certain point, white would tap out a lot lower on the scale. So if you've got a, this is probably more relevant to old Queenslanders where you do have that galvanized roof. If you've got that and you're feeling quite hot, it might be worth maybe getting someone around to paint it. What I'm trying to say is if you paint your roof in a lighter color, you will find that your house is more comfortable for a wider period of the year. On the converse, when you're painting things black, there is advantages to it, especially in winter or in colder climates, because it is holding in that heat a little bit more, attracting the heat and holding it in. That's why you see uh, solar hot water tubes on people's roofs. That's why that's all in black, because the water that's in there attracts the heat quicker, warms it up. So that's my home hack for this week, color. Love it. Thanks, Lockie. All right, my home hack for the week, wardrobes. Now, I know it might sound a little bit boring. However, I have seen it, done it, had to put together that much Ikea in my time that I have a little hack to do with Ikea wardrobes. So my hack is instead of just obviously building these cabinets, putting all your Ikea together, sliding it into the side of the room and calling it a day, my suggestion is to create almost like a provision. So we're going to raise up and almost do like build out a little platform, pop our Ikea carcass cabinets on at that. Then we're going to build in a bulkhead building the walls around it. So we're pretty much creating like a little hidey hole for our carcasses to kind of slide into. What that's gonna do is give you a lot more custom finish. It's gonna look built in, it's gonna look purposeful. Again, another little hack that I love to do is just do their really cost-effective 500 wide hinge doors. Flat, white, It's I think it's one of the cheapest finishes you can get from the Ikea wardrobe range, but then put your own handles on it. Do yeah. custom joinery, do your custom skirting. So if you've got your really, really high skirting, let's say we've gone a little bit bougie and Ooh. we've we've gone and got our, you know, 
230 high in trim skirting and beautiful architraves. We've got architraves all the way around these built-in wardrobes now. We've raised up the platform up to 230. We've continued that skirting underneath it. We've got the beautiful architraves. We've got beautiful white doors, oh, white walls. Stop it. And then we've got some beautiful, what I call cabinetry jewelry is our joinery handles. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit of bling on our doors. And again, you can do custom, you can even make your own joinery handles out of timber. You can. And Oh, we you have can, an experienced have, builder here. Done. Oh, Lockie's done exactly that. I think, did you go Ikea? You did everything custom and the same thing. You actually made your own yeah, wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. So handles. for the, the renovation at Ipswich, I spent a couple of weekends turning my own door handles. I took inspiration from some of the pre-existing ones in terms of the, the profiles and then I think I got some nice chunky bits of Tasmanian oak and just went nuts. Stop, so nice. It's just a really nice way of getting that custom look, bit on the cheap, bit of a house hack. This is what this whole segment's about. But I find, again, Ikea is just so useful, same or similar to what I said last episode about the kitchens, all their accessories, all of their pull-out trouser racks and their shoe racks and all of these additional things you can buy for these wardrobes that all fit within these 500 wide, a meter wide or even 750 wide carcasses. You can get every, you can get your dream wardrobe 100%. and then make it your own. Bring in those architraves, bring in your joinery handles that you've used in the kitchen and the linen cupboards and the wardrobes. Again, it's those building block materials. But this week, I'm only going to do one house hack. I know, everyone's devastated. To push on one, one final bit, just to eke a little bit more out of that. Mm. You mentioned in trim and I think we even mentioned Bunnings last week as places to get mm-hmm. higher skirting boards or custom skirting boards, mm-hmm. for especially Bunnings for the cheap. What about handles? Do you have like a couple of quick recommendations for people to just cast their eye over? I do. I could go nuts with handles again. I'm a little bit obsessed. Definitely for kitchens, custom joinery, bathrooms. I'm actually a bit more inclined to not do handles. I love a bit of a finger pull detail. While you're cooking, you kind of don't want handles hitting you in the hip. While you're in the bathroom, you're trying to use the bathroom vanity. You're trying to lean over and use the mirror. You don't want any handles like taking out your hip again. So I'm more into investing in those joinery handles where you're going to see it, where it's going to be most impactful. It's not to do it everywhere on every single cabinet. I'm a big lover of, you know, your tall linens, your walk-in robe or your your built-in wardrobes, even, you know, your appliance cupboard or your integrated fridge, all these little items. And that's where you invest. Instead of going quantity, go quality. Love it. So my top picks for some joinery handles are, ooh, I'm going to go with designer doorware. Again, a little bit ritzy, a little bit on the expensive side, but you can find some nice ones. The more accessible one or the more cost-effective one is a bit of a combination. So Low & Co. So that's L-O, the end symbol, C-O. That's my all-time favorite just because they have the white, black, brushed brass, brushed nickel, but they've got bronze as well. They have timber. They've, they've kind of got everything, but they've got... A bit got, of stone in there as well, actually. They do. They have Ooh. marble. Oh, the someone's been on oh, it. My oh, my goodness. Stop. Even for like entry door hardware as well, guys, check it out. Oh, they've got door levers. Anyway, I'm going to go into that, into our house hacks. <laughs> Stop. I mean, I'm going to go into that into our building block episode. So stop. You're giving away other secrets too soon. Too soon. All right. You happy with that? Or you got any more? Do you have any more? um, Even ABI. ABI, they do tapware, but they've actually got joinery hardware available as well. So again, consistency. Consistency is key. If I'm doing, you know, brush brush tapware from Abbey or ABI, sorry, then, you know, why not get the joinery handles? It's all going to be the same finish. It's all going to be the same color. It's going to match. Low and Co, they've got the, you know, if you do the door levers throughout the home, then you're going to match the joinery handles as well. Everything's going to match. It's going to look amazing. Mint. It's going to, yeah, it's going to be great. So that's my, probably my top three hardware. All right, everybody at home, I hope you enjoyed that. It's now time to move into the meat of the episode. Let's get into it. Building block time. What are building blocks, Michaela? Oh, okay. So what are the building blocks or the bones of a new build or a reno? So in my opinion, it is the consistencies across your house or your home. So the same finishes that are seen throughout the house and in each room, they're the bones, they're the building blocks, similar to you know your flooring choice, your paint color. Instead of doing every single room in a different wall color, it's going to be one wall color. You're going to have the same timber flooring or tiles or carpet throughout the home. Trims, doors, hardware, so door profiles, skirting, architraves, even our ceiling details. If you're doing wall paneling, if you're doing wainscoting, uh, lighting, so any downlights that are going to be consistently used in every single room. Um, Even windows or glazing, doors. What's the powder coat color? Are they timber? Are they painted? Their consistencies across each of these spaces that we're looking at. 
that's our building blocks. That's what we're building our design from. Fantastic. All right. So I guess what we'll do is we'll give a little spiel about most of those categories we just touched on and we'll just go through and for most of them, they are interior related. So I won't try and flex muscles that I don't have and I'll let Michaela definitely do the heavy lifting. There's a lot of architecture. Don't worry. There is some. So all of you who keep writing me messages on my own private Instagram saying, Lachlan, we want you to talk more. You'll get your wish. So... Michaela, take it away. Let's talk about some flooring options here. All right. So some flooring options. This is again, endless and it's definitely each their own. I feel again, we're going back to our mood board and our theme, but also our our checklist of how many bedrooms, how large of a space. Is it two story? Is it single story? Do we have pets? Do we have a pool? Do we entertain a lot? All of these checklist items, that's going to have a huge impact on these bones or these building blocks that we're choosing for our house. So when it comes to flooring, we have so many options, but our main ones I'm just going to briefly touch on. So we've got timber flooring, be that hardwoods or softwoods. So again, in Australia, predominantly more in Queensland. So I I grew up in New South Wales, so we see a lot more timber floors, but a lot of carpet in bedrooms. Not necessarily so much in Queensland. We do a lot more Australian hardwoods, a lot of Queenslanders, obviously. So lots of timber floors. Um, Another option is engineered timber. So this is one of my favorites. I actually have hardwood timbers throughout mine because it was an existing reno. So we kind of built off that. However, oh, if I could have my dream home, engineered timber all the way premium. I'm, I'm going to name drop here, but a bigger or oh, a bit of tongue and groove. I'm quite obsessed. But yeah, engineered timber. So all that is is a timber veneer, be that six mil, four mil, three mil. You can obviously different price points, different budgets, but it's a timber veneer, usually from a European oak, and then that's applied to a base structure. So that's usually a plywood, but obviously in tongue and grooves, board structure, they're a solid oak base. So you're getting quality. It's exactly the same principles as a hardwood. So with a hardwood timber, it's got a base structure or like a tongue and groove component, but then it also has what we would call like a veneer or a usable timber board that you can sand down, restain, refinish. Every board, be that a hardwood or an engineered timber, it's got a life expectancy on that veneer. So there's only yep. so many times you can sand that down, restain it, exactly the same as engineered timber. Obviously, the pros of going with engineered timber is you're getting color consistency. So Correct. with that veneer, they treat that veneer, they color it, they smoke it, varnish it to the exact color that you're choosing. So you're getting consistency. Again, you still do have that option depending on the thickness of the veneer to be able to sand that and restain it if you wish. Again, tiles. Tiles is a big one. Tiles is super versatile, hard wearing, easy to keep clean. Again, so many formats as well. So you can do large format. You could do 12 by 6, 6 by 6, 3 by 3, 3 by 6. You can stack bond. You can do a pattern. There's endless options with tiles. But a great aspect of tiles is being able to potentially from your indoor or outdoor space, be able to float that, make it seamless. So go from like an outdoor deck space, drop the exterior sliding doors and then have this, you know, smooth transition from indoor to outdoor. Again, great to transition from a pool area to an outdoor entertainment to inside, being able to keep that cohesive and seamless. Uh, Another option is polished concrete. So again, honed concrete, burnished concrete, there's all different finishes in terms of polished concrete, but a seamless concrete floor, however you treat that. Uh, hybrid flooring, vinyl flooring, laminate flooring. It's kind of all in that either plank or seamless roll finish. Um, hybrid is obviously a bit of a mix of vinyl versus laminate in one kind of product, usually in a plank form. Vinyl plank as well, I use a lot in commercial settings. We have it here in our office space. Super easy to keep clean. I find it's a lot more realistic than, than laminate personally. I'd If you were going to an alternative of timber, and you didn't necessarily have the budget for engineered timber or solid hardwoods, I'd be more inclined to go to a vinyl plank to, if you, you know, you're really set on getting that timber look, I would push up the budget of laminate and go to a vinyl plank. I feel like that's going to give you a better embossed structure to the board. It's a lot more realistic. You're still getting some, you know, water resistant properties to that. Um, you get a seamless transition between each board. So less likelihood of, you know, water getting in or any bubbling or any issues with, you know, you don't want that click clack floor, you know, that. Yeah, you yeah, know the yeah. old floating laminate floor, and it just feels a bit a bit cheap in in my opinion. Carpet again, another floor finish. Um, per, like personal preference, I I love. Maybe it's a New South Wales thing. I'm not sure, but 
I love having carpet in the bedrooms. To me, that's really luxurious, being able to step out on wool and, again, personal preference as well. But, yeah, carpet for me is, is a big one and I'm going to go – I can do a whole episode just on, we on are, flooring. We, we are, are going to do, do a whole episode. We're going to do a whole episode, especially carpet. I feel like there people is need to be educated. so much. I thought carpet was carpet, but you're oh, listing no. off things like loop pile, cut, cut pile, oh, my twist goodness. pile. We need solution dyed versus wool. Dirt. Yeah, no, there's, yeah. there's honestly, there's so much that we can go into. A huge fan, again, a huge fan of the right carpet the right carpet is there a right carpet we don't know we'll go through i'll 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 teach you i'll teach you in my opinion or in my personal preference or what i guide my clients towards i'm a big fan of getting the best that your budget allows for and and being true and authentic to materials so i will always opt for true timber versus a timber look product if your budget doesn't allow for timber do a beautiful tile. You, you don't have to replicate a true product. I always find, you know, if you get a timber look tile, you can always tell that it's not timber. So yeah, yeah. even if you get um, laminate that's trying to represent timber, again, I'm really picky with that and I'd be more inclined to, to be true to form true to the material and you're always going to get a better outcome it's going to feel more natural you're going to still get texture and warmth from these materials so yeah be true to true to form true, true to, form. to your mood board <laughs> true to your mood board think what would your mood board say all right i think that that covers floor coverings really nicely we'll move on to a bit of paint color and wall treatments now another area that you are absolutely gonna i wouldn't go that far but in terms of wall colors wall treatments again i'm going to dedicate a whole episode just to paint to colors making sure people i'm I'm gonna you know put out a few of my favorites list some of my favorite paint colors but then tell you why why i like them what color they're more based towards there's always going to be a warm and a cool or a yellow based a pink based or you know we don't i don't want again i don't want everyone out there to be like i chose this beautiful color and now i have a baby pink house like we can avoid that yeah without necessarily going white on white i've experimented i'm gonna i'm gonna put myself in here and Tell a little bit of an embarrassing story. So I remember my first year, I was a brand, I was a baby interior designer. Baby. A baby interior designer. I was fresh faced. So as a baby interior designer, I was walking into an architecture practice that specializes in multi-residential. So being townhouses, apartments, large, you know, we do 150 plus apartments or we do boutique, you know, four to six beautiful apartments on the river say or at the gold coast sunshine coast so we do a wide array of projects but this one in particular was a four tower development 150 plus apartments per tower oh no I was an absolute, I was a baby. I'm just going to reiterate that. I was an absolute baby. had no idea what I was doing, let's be real. And I chose what I thought was a beautiful white. Can't get it wrong. It's a white, right? No, no. I have to drive past this development on a major, major highway and stare at baby pink buildings. Four towers, beautiful, baby pink on the highway. Oh, Do you remember what white it was? I do. And it was? I don't want to say it in case someone has painted their house and they're like, I love that color. So I'm not. I'm but not it might work it for you, but maybe yeah, exactly. not for four not, towers. Not on a four towers, not on a 20 story four tower development. Absolutely not. Especially when all the cladding, the roof colors, everything was like, we went, I swear it was like 2013, 2014. And it was like the era of like 50 shades of gray. Like every, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. every building was like white, black and every shade in between. Not these ones. Baby pink and every shade of gray in between yes with like sun hoods wall cladding every it was it was atrocious so anyway side note we're gonna go into paint because you know what i've made the mistakes so you can learn from them we've already done it i'm not going to give you a baby pink house so our next category is paint color and wall treatment so we've got wainscoting we can do a beautiful you know wainscoting half height we can do picture rails chair rails you name it we've got vj boards we can do you know if you're in a coastal house not even a coastal house more a traditional house we can yeah. add some beautiful vertical cladding we've got paneling so kind of instead of wainscoting where we're looking at you know chair rail height down we can just do some beautiful paneling it'll be stunning we can do full height we can do particular walls Heaps of options there. Um, And then colors between walls and trims. Okay, so this is 
a little bit of a hack, a little bit of a hack on our paint. And again, I'll go to it more when we go into colors and paint. However, I'm a big fan. So I'm blessed to actually have a father-in-law as a painter. So he's able to give me heaps of tips and hints all about painting and obviously renovating when we've done our first and our second house. We honestly could not have done it without my father. He was, he's a gun, absolute gun. So he's, he did all, oh, pretty much did it by himself. He did all the painting, showed us how to do everything. We had to scrape original boards on the outside oh. of our house. It was, oh, we had lead paint. We, it was, it was awful. And he was there with us every step of the way. But the little hints and tips that he gave me was the color between the walls and the trims and then colors between internal walls, external walls and fences. My house hack if that's are we putting it in the house hack category listen we said we were only going to do one house hack this week and this is why because in the body of this thing we're going to give you little tips little bits of information okay so again back in the day probably like 20 30 years ago it used to be common practice to ceiling walls all your architraves your skirting all in the one color not anymore. We're, we're, we're in the 2000s here. We've, we've gained a little bit of knowledge. So I love, again, going back to our skirting heights and our architraves height. So we're trying to get the most impact out of those skirtings. We've just invested into it. We've gone really high. We've done Lockie's hint and trick and we've, you know, made it only 11 mil. We haven't wasted with the super deep profile. Again, great for cleaning. So you don't want to be walking around your house trying to Amen. dust those. Mm-hmm. So we've invested into this skirting. We want that as bright and as white as possible. So my hint and tip is to go skirting, architraves, and doors, pure white, as white as you can get. So either untinted white or, you know, Dulux colors, for instance, that I use a lot is Lex Concorda, Vivid White. They're Vivid, our, they're our really crisp whites. So we want that contrast between our skirting, our architraves, and our doors. We want that contrast to the wall. So I suggest going that little bit darker, getting that contrast. You don't have to go crazy dark, but we do need a color variation. So that's my first little tip for inside. Make use of those skirtings. There's no point hiding them. And then when it comes to outside, so I use this on, I use this little hack and actually, again, I got it from my father-in-law. Thank you very much, Bradley Garrick. But my little hack for outside, which I was, I was genuine, I didn't believe it until he painted it and I saw it and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Seeing is believing. Yeah. It blew me away. So for instance, again, I'm going to do a little bit of a paint or color name drop that I used in my own house. So I went with Dulux ghosting on our internal walls. Then on the outside of our house, we did Dulux paving stone. Then on our fences or our external fences on the inside, we did Rogue, Dulux Rogue. I know that doesn't mean much when I'm rattling off names. However, because we are at an architecture practice and obviously have all the interior design samples, we are blessed to have a Dulux paint swatch. When you look up Dulux ghosting in our Dulux paint swatch, double strength ghosting or two colors down from ghosting is paving stone. No way. Oh, there's more. So Wait, what? Double strength paving stone. Surely not. Is rogue. <laughs> no. It is. Crazy. So now the little hint and tip that obviously sounds simple, obviously, when you think about it like that. But if you are outside, and again, I'm in Brisbane, so it's very, very bright, very, very sunny 90% of the year. When I'm standing outside and I look at my external fence, then I'm looking at my external wall, and then I can see through inside the house and see ghosting. It all looks to be the same color. The same color. It's because the light reflectancy that's absorbing into, again, our fence is in the most amount of light. Then our sun, obviously, when it hits the side of our house, that's getting filtered light, sometimes through trees or adjacent buildings. And then obviously inside, we've got a roof and ceiling and walls. I love that consistency that that gives. I love how smooth and seamless it feels. It feels like one color throughout the spaces and it just to me again it's that building block that is consistent consistencies we've picked one color that we love we haven't gone you know i've seen it so many times as well when people pick you know a beautiful white inside the house and they've loved it and they've spent months and months and months considering this perfect wall color and then they go to the outside of the house and they again do the same process and they think a million times because again it's expensive you can spend you know 10 20 30 grand on getting your house professionally painted. So you really don't, you want to make the right choice. So my suggestion is 
if you stay within that same swatch or you can just go, you know, if you do lexicon quarter on your walls and then you're doing lexicon half on the outside of your house and then you're doing lexicon full strength on your fences, it's all going to feel really holistic. Yes. And it's going to feel really, really clean. It's going to reflect the same light. But the thing is, it's all got the same. They all have the same undertone. So they're all the same color. You're not choosing a slightly pink white and then you're choosing a slightly you know, blue-based grey, and then you're going a greeny tinge grey on the outside of your fence because you've independently looked at all of these colours and you love them. But when you see them painted on such a mass area, it changes. It changes how light reflects in that space, how the sun hits it in shadow versus, you know, full sun, it's going to give you a completely different colour. So that's my house hack. Double double strength everything internal. Double it, double it, double it, and then crisp white for those internal doors yes. that's the play that is my little I love that. secondary house I'll, um, I'll jump on a little bit there as mm. well just a, a tip for or a little a little hint in the architectural world something that we we deal with every now and again is luminance contrast between especially it, it's mainly for entry doors going into apartment buildings or yes. even for houses it's a good thing to keep in mind is you want about a 30 percent color difference if you can achieve it between your door leaf, so the actual door panel itself and say the architraves around the door or the door frame, the reason for that is if you come across someone with a... Visual or, impairment. If someone's got a visual impairment, that 30% difference can make it all. Instead of it just the door blending, blending. in with the wall, it gives them a clear outline of where it is. Really important uh, in the architecture world, especially with egress. So if you're trying to exit a building in a hurry, being able to spot that, especially in like a low light condition, that's a tip. Yeah, 100%. Even obviously for functionality and egress, as Lachlan explained, but even for visual impact, again, we want to see those architraves. We want to see oh that beautiful goodness. skirting. We want to see the joinery, like the, sorry, the door hardware lever on that door. And we want it to punch. You know, if you've got this beautiful bronze door lever on this crisp white door, it's going to punch a lot more. More it than is. something, you know, say if you choose a very warm beige toned white and it's always going to look like it's been a bit off color or yellow. It's a little bit out of it. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. Well, building on that, while we're talking about crisp skirting profiles, yes. let's jump straight into it. So, we have touched on this slightly in one of our previous home hacks with our trim doors and hardware. So, mm-hmm. Michaela, you're a big fan of 2400 high doors where you can, just a little bit something extra. If you can't, 2100 is your standard. If you've got oodles of ceiling height space, oh, 27. 27 if you 27. can. Anything over 2400 or 2100 is custom. So just keep that in mind when you're kind of budgeting it all together. So door profiles is something it can be done in an interesting way, especially if you go into a, like say your parents' house and they've got the classic four panels uh, profile. I, I, look, I feel again, we're bashing on the 80s and the 90s here a little bit but you know it's there's there's new ways of doing door paneling just now. a We're, flat door guys no i'm getting i'm actually quite into door panels at the moment i know oh. controversial and i'm not talking about again the 80s hang typical, on let me like, change my opinion i love door <laughs> door panels now guys um no i'm actually i'm actually a bit of a fan of door panels now so again done right let's not go back to the 80s or the 90s with the old you know square profiles everywhere no, I love, again, I'm just going to name drop as well so you guys can do your own research at home, but places like Corinthian, again, a lot of these doors as well are actually available through Bunnings. They're done at custom orders as well. So if you want, you know, an 820, 870, even if you want like a, a tiny door, like a 620. Or yeah, if you've got a little broom cupboard that you don't want to do a joinery door for. Yeah, just get that. It's I think they're even down to like 520 doors. Yes. You can even, yeah, so... You can definitely hide your hot water heater away if it's inside. Corinthian, they do some. They actually do some solid oak doors, which are absolutely beautiful as well. Yeah, they I do mean, a I, wide oak I guess door. going on that while we're talking about door profiles, what are your thoughts on the old arch door? I've been oh, seeing that a lot recently. It, yeah, it Stunning, has been done, but very. It's very difficult i guess from from my point of view because those doors when you when you're challenging when you're buying an interior door it's usually a semi-solid core door i think for a majority of those arch doors unless you're paying quite a bit of extra money they're going to have to 
be solid core doors yes. to get that profile. And, yeah, and then be and able to obviously weight be, and cost, be shape. Weight and cost. Definitely. Um, do you want to tell us actually a, get a, a bit of an architectural query, but do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about the pros and cons of going semi hollow core and solid and in which instances would you be more inclined yeah, to choose the yeah. solid? So your external doors, solid core all day, every day, uh, even to go on from my paint tip a little bit earlier on, if you've got an external door that's out in the sun and you paint that black, not say night sky or monument something that i've learned the hard way is it will warp because the amount of sun that goes into it and it even even extends to things like your roller door for your garage if you've got that in black and that's out in the sun i think there's even some door manufacturers that won't provide you a warranty because yeah, well, it even, will fail it's not a question of if but it's a question of when, when and it's it, pretty even, soon even warping not necessarily just from heat but from water as well that's why Correct. it has to be solid yep. so seal the underside of your doors guys do yourself a favor a hundred percent water it'll come in no matter what even yep. if it's under a huge awning it will come in because it's not even so much water itself but condensation yep. there's so many different ways that water tries to ruin your house so the more we can do to prevent it the better Solid core doors for your external doors, big fan. If you've got the budget, internally, they're a little bit better acoustically in terms of how they perform. My little hack just on that, Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big fan of doing a solid core door on your laundries. If you've got a dryer, trust me, worth it. And I always try and do a hinge door. So do you want to tell us, I know Lockie is the absolute gun at windows and door schedules in the office as well. Um, Holla, here we go. This is his time to shine here, guys. In what instances would you find doing a hinge door versus a cavity slider, for instance? Ooh. All right. So the main, or I guess the when I'm drafting things up or designing things, the main reason I'll throw cavity sliders in is to try and avoid situations. I guess mainly the, the ones you look at is door-on-door action, where you've mm-hmm. got two hinge doors opening into the same path. Oh, I hate if that. You, if you can get rid of it. And then even if that hinge door still opens onto the cavity opening, you can have your floor mounted door stop kind of tucked in the corner out of the way so you're not tripping over it and you still get that clear thoroughfare. Mm -hmm. Other instances where it it can be of benefit is those really tight odd spaces i notice a lot of doors going into en suites and bathrooms can sometimes be cavity sliders not actually not so much for bathrooms because you want that hinge door for the acoustic properties same for bedrooms you want hinge doors to try and seal as much as you can off in terms of noise something to keep in consideration though is if you're putting in a hollow sorry a, a cavity slider door the width of the door, and you may be sitting there going, no, duh, but the width of the door, that's going to slide into the wall. So you there can't needs to be an put something in there. The main issue we have, uh, say a client comes to us from uh, another designer or they've, they've got a house plan, they've drawn themselves and they've drawn a, a cavity slider door. Your number one thing you always say is, where is the tower rails going? Yeah, honestly. And it's always tower rails usually end up tucked behind a door. But the mm-hmm. issue is if it's tucked behind a door and it's a cavity slider door, that's where those that cavity slider is going to try and tuck back into. So ways around it, you just need to use different wall fixings, maybe put a bit of ply in the wall for mm-hmm. a bit of structural backing so you don't have to use as deep fixings. But it's something to think about early on. In bedrooms, if you're doing it to go into a walk-in robe, TV, wall-mounted TVs is, I guess, from a, a bedroom side, that's another one that can interfere with it. Robe hooks. So electrical um, in-wall systems as well. If you're doing um, toilet suites, usually in master en-suites, there's a lot of occasions where we use the cavity sliders. However, we always want in-wall systems for our toilets. Again, we can't really put that in the wall if we've got a door going or using that space. We're going to have to, you know, create a whole other false wall in front of it, beef it all out. We just need to make sure that there's allowance there. Um, In terms of my interior preference, Mm -hmm. I will actually 99.9% of the time aim to remove cavity sliders where possible. I'm a big fan of hinged. If you need a door on a room, there's a reason why you need that door, usually acoustic or privacy. So we want to block out the sound. We want to be able to close off that room. The only other reason where I would feel like a cavity slider is necessary is spaces where you want to be able to come in and out easily. Flow through. Flow through. So butler's pantries. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, again, cavity sliders in that situation where you just want to close off all the dirty stuff. If people come over, you can close off the butler's pantry. can be an absolute mess. No one will see it. Close it off. But while you're cooking, you want to be able to go in and out of that butler's pantry easily. You want to be able to use that space functionally. So I'm a big fan of a cavity slider in that situation. Um, another cavity slider opportunity is in a walk-in robe yeah so again we want to be able if it's adjacent to an ensuite for instance i'm again a big fan of removing your thoroughfare through your wardrobe so i always try and remove 
the thoroughfare space between going from your bedroom to your walk-in robe, then to your ensuite, I always try and remove that. So you want separate access to your walk-in robe and separate access to your ensuite. That's again, just to remove like for waterproofing issues, removing steam from your clothes. You just don't want any moisture anywhere near your clothes. Correct. Again, I like to open up the walk-in robe with a cavity slider and be able to get in and out, go from my ensuite to my bedroom and back and forth. That's probably my two opportunities where I would say, yes, cavity slider. Everywhere else. Hinge door if you can. Yeah, even even small little tips about, I, I, Lockie touched on it before with the door stops, being able to put a floor mount door stop all the way back at the base of the door. So obviously when it opens, it's hitting right, yep. at, the, right at the edge, right at the rear of the door panel. Um, another little hint that I picked up is you can just do 90 degree hinge. It doesn't have to... Yeah, good point. You know, you can get those 90 degree hinges, stop the door. You don't even need a door stop, but it's at least allowing you for that privacy, that acoustic treatment. Being able to open up a hinge door onto a wall is obviously the preference. Yep. Again, I another like hint and tip is... I try and avoid it where possible, where you've got a bedroom or a space and it's the doors floating in the middle of the room. I always try and tuck get them. I yeah. always try and tuck those doors into the corner of a space. Agreed. Um, what are your thoughts actually on external cavity sliders? You know, the old barn doors. Ooh. I don't like them. <laughs> Every there's, architect there's, and listen, interior designer a, does not like barn there's doors. There's a time and a place, and it usually is not the time and a place because it's not a barn that is you can such make, a good point unless you make if the door is your statement i cannot live without find this door. another like, statement if it's a really nice door i'll i can respect that but do that on your front door just do a hinge or a cavity slider or the alternative especially because i think i see a lot of those barn doors for butler's pantries why don't we use one of your hidden tricks why don't we build it out of cabinetry and have it as a hidden door so you just think it's a cupboard oh my goodness there's a whole butler's pantry tucked in behind here yeah are it's- you serious there's a time and place. Yeah, there's a market for it. It's just not me. I guess that's that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> He's not a part of the market. Yeah. Before we move on from the door, the door segment, mm-hmm. I think we should briefly touch on at least hardware in terms of lever sets. Oh yeah. So you got your entry entry set, uh, key lockable. You can add a deadbolt there. Double down, fantastic. Privacy latches, great for bedrooms. Have that little kind of metallic snib push in thing. Oh, that there's all different ones these days. Oh, are they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's gone a little bit beyond me, but <laughs> great for privacy, especially if you've got kids who want to, who might accidentally lock themselves in a room. You just grab like a skewer and poke it in from the other skewer, side. Skewer, a butter knife. A butter knife. That's not fitting in my one. <laughs> so you've you've got privacy. You've got passage, passage. sets, yep. which are a lever without a lock. Yeah, yeah. So it'll <laughs> still click in to the yep. the mortise, mm-hmm. but there's no lock. So great place for that would be a butler's pantry. Butler's pantry may be a laundry, depending on what you're doing in the laundry. You might want a privacy set. I don't know. Uh, passage sets are great. Uh, and then you've got dummy latches. Yeah, which sets. is just a fixed lever. Exactly the same as a passage set, but it doesn't push down. So yeah. it's just a fixed lever. Yeah, and you'll have like a little uh, kind of squeak. You know, you, you'll know it at home, like that squeaky little kind of latch thing on the inside, the rubber one that goes, <laughs> and then you kind of like pull it out from there. Oh, sound effects are great yeah, today. The Foley's in studio. All right. So oh. that's, oh, go, 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 oh, go, go. I'm so sorry. We've also got our like flush sets, like our flush oh, doors. So all yep. of our cavity slider hardware, if we've got any flush pulls, again, oh, do we want to touch on it? But double cavity sliders, I'm a no oh, Double cavity sliders are like barn doors, guys, don't do them. No. Even double hinge doors sometimes don't work because you no. lose all the security and privacy because oh. the middle's the weakest. Do you know how many projects we've done where they wanted, you know, the big double door entries to the master suite? And then they end up being like two 520 wide doors that no one can fit through one. Yeah. So then you have to open two at the same time, but then only one locks. And then you need like a deadlock up yeah, the top dro- of the door. Or even a drop bolt. Like a drop floor, bolt. And then you've oh. got a metal strip in your nice carpet. They're you, horrendous. Yeah. I can't. I- Listen, I think if this show is going to take a stance, I'm more than happy to be on board for no barn doors and no double doors, whether they be cavity or hinged. Agreed. Are happy with that? Oh. Maybe entry doors. Maybe entry doors. Entry doors, but... I have a little bit of a soft spot for like the Georgian or French manners. So I'm all for the big, huge double doors, but there needs to be allowance for it. And if you've got, you know, a French manor sized home that can allow for it and you've got plenty of wall space when you first enter, you need light switch placement. You need to be able to keep those doors open all the time and be able to close them equally and easily. Great. Again, there's, there's a place for every door. Agree. Totally agree. All right. Let's jump on the ceilings now. All right. I'm going to just drop some knowledge. Everyone at home, strap in, get out your notepad, prepare to rewind and hit this. So, Here we go. 
ceiling heights. There's, I'll say there's a couple. I won't give a number because I'll just keep out coming out with them. Oh, so, can we? Oh, 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 oh. I just want a little bit of like architectural chat and knowledge that maybe not all of our listeners are aware of, but there is actually a legal standard yes. for ceiling heights across the board for, and for particular areas as well. It is. And I might have to edit this because I might get it wrong or forget things, but your non-habitable rooms, so areas like bathrooms, laundries, you can go down to 2100 high in those rooms. If you need to, higher is better, but that's your minimum. For habitable spaces like bedrooms and living rooms, you're looking at 2400 minimum. Now, you might be at home and you're looking at your ceiling. You've got a, a dirty big bulkhead running through the middle because there's a beam from upstairs and you're like, oh, well, that beam caps out at uh, 2100 high. That's fine. The majority. The majority. I think the, the rule is two thirds of the ceiling height has to be at 2,400 or an average of 2,400. So say you've got, or that the ceiling has to average out for two thirds at 2,400. So say you do have that, a, a large section that is dropped. Happens a lot in apartment buildings when you're trying to do a reno and do something a little bit new. Mm-hmm. Just push it up, build the average. She'll be right if you've got the space. Mm-hmm. Those are some things to keep in mind. Having said that, if there is an existing condition on your ceiling. So you'll see in a lot of Queenslanders where the ceiling is drops down to 1900 and you can't, you can't raise that up. Because or even if we've got like funky roof structure and you've roof got lines nose and roofs, got, good yeah. luck. If that's an existing condition, have a chat to a certifier. You might be okay. It's just something to keep in mind because you, you can't change that easily. Ideally you'd love to, but then you might start creating issues in terms of drainage with roofs and gutters and oh, box water, gutters. water is worse. Yeah. Box gutters. No, thank you. If you can avoid them, unless they're very tasteful. So as we're saying, so 2100 is, it's not a standard ceiling height in a, a bathroom. It's the minimum. You you will see it in some places. So it's good to understand why that is. Uh, generally as well over bathrooms, because you're allowed to drop it a little bit lower. Sometimes it's where your mechanical ventilation will be. If you're in an apartment, essentially like your air conditioning units, 2100, 2400 is a standard. 2550 is also a standard. Now, why is 2550 a standard? Because plasterboard sheets come in two widths. 1200 and 1350 so you can kind of work back from any of those and get your your stand height so 2400 is two sheets of 1200 done 2550 a sheet of 1200 sheet of 1350 2700 1350 1350 oh my gosh i had no idea anything above that where you've got people having to cut sheets Time and money. So that's why you won't see it in project homes. Wow. So this is the reno game versus the project home game. This is it. It's wow. Other options are raked ceilings. Oh, a fan. Huge. I think another bold stance, a very brave stance that the show can take. If you've got ceiling height to gain, grab it. Always. It's worth it. Always. I'm within reason. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, I'm I don't know. I'm a big fan of like if you could have if I could have five, six, seven meter high ceilings, I would. I would go higher the better. I, I think as well a big selling point in homes is, and I think it's on the list here to mention, is like voids, double height voids. So I would sacrifice square meterage in terms of usable floor plan to be able to obtain a void in my house. Agreed. I think that would be huge. Being able to add more natural light, more glazing, higher ceilings. It makes the space feel grand, opulent. You're adding all the necessities in terms of ventilation and light. And it's just, I don't know, it's just a big wow selling point. It's the focal point of a home. If you can get in a feature rake ceiling, avoid coffered ceilings. I think you touched on that last time you went yeah, to a, yep. a, um, was it a sales display or like yes, a sales it was. home. Yeah. And it was impactful. Obviously, you took away from that and you remembered that space because of that ceiling. And again, interiors is, you know, we're not, you don't have to be cookie cutter with it. You can, you know, this is supposed to be your own home and having these focal points or these things that you walk away from or people walk away from and go, gosh, that made a difference. Oh, I loved that detail. That's what it's all about. You can have fun with it. And again, roof heights or roof structures, ceiling heights, feature ceilings, skylights, coffered ceilings, like this is the opportunity to kind of- This is it. This is it. This is, oh, this is my dream. I love, love, love feature ceilings. So another thing that we love to try and incorporate when we can, you usually can't do it in apartment buildings because there's a slab above you, voids. If you've got the ability to have a two-story house- or a two-story dwelling, sometimes happens in apartments. Voids, in my opinion, 
that is, you know, the memes where it's like, tell me you've got great taste in money without telling me you've got great taste in money. Show and you just show the void. void. You show yep. them the photo 100%. of your void. Well, would like to know, didn't you have a void in your project last week? Yes, I did have a project last week that had a void in the- In the South Yarra House. South Yarra House by Lander, not Landy, Lander Architects. I fixed it. Um just impactful. What a great way. Huge. I mean, another bold stance we can take. Mm-hmm. Tall window furnishings. If you've got a double height void, if you've got a six meter ceiling and you've got six meter sheer curtains. So impactful. Stop it. Stunning. Beauty in the beast moment. Unreal. Beautiful. So voids, big vibe. Coffered ceilings, big vibe. Skylights, both big fans of Skylights. Once again, South Yarra House. Check out that oval skylight in the bathroom. Oh, my gosh. Did Beautiful. anyone notice that, please? My oh, goodness. It was my favorite. Unreal. And talking about window furnishings a little bit further, the only downside to window furnishings is how they work. We don't want to know that. We want a little bit of magic. So how do you do that? Pelmet. Boom. Hide it away, everybody. Okay. So for our listeners out there, a pelmet is, in layman's terms, it's just, it's just a bulkhead. Let's be real. It's a bulkhead with a provision concealed to be able to allow for any window furnishings. Is that is that about right, Lucky? I'd hope I so. think that's about yeah, right. Yeah, that's about right. So in terms of pelmets, we have actually designed pelmet designs or ceiling details post-construction. So if you're doing a reno and you don't want to see all of your hardware, you don't want to see the ceiling track, you don't want to see the, you know, the roller blind, mm-hmm. you can actually create, you can drop the ceiling or create a dropped helmet yeah. design post-construction, can't you? It's 100%. not for these people who are just building new no, no. and can get it in. You can do it and other benefits is it maybe blocks out a little bit more light because at the top of your, your sheer curtains where the eyelets meet, there's a gap there. So block out a little bit more light. You'll see it a lot in hotel design. They'll always do it in hotel design to make sure that obviously the whole glazing is completely and utterly block out. But huge tip, next time you actually go to a hotel or staying somewhere, you know, beautiful and they've got a whole glazing wall or glazed wall and they've got a beautiful ceiling treatment, look at how they're doing the curtains. Yes. Look at how they're doing the blinds. Is it, it's also an opportunity to hide any mechanics or electric. So if you're doing electric blinds. Yes. And it's all remote access, you you know, all of that can be concealed. You can get a, an electrician in to be able to obviously wire power to that space. That'll all be hidden thanks yep. to the helmet. Or That's it. a dodgy bulkhead. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Okay. Well, Michaela, we've actually, we're only halfway through our list of what we oh wanted gosh. to talk about in this episode. So- Everyone at home, this is a two-parter. Oh, I think so. I don't want to rush it. I don't want to rush it. We've got such good stuff coming up. What we're going to do is we're going to leave this one here and we'll pick up next episode and we'll continue walking through our building blocks. And then we're even going to maybe touch on your wish list. Just as a little, 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 little little bit at the end there Mm -hmm. in terms of now that you've got all this information and you've got your mood board done. You've got your theme. Be that just nice. 100%. Nice is a great theme. How do we then kind of formulate your wish list? What are your items that you absolutely cannot live without if you're going to be undertaking this experience? I hope you all enjoy this episode as much as we did. Feel free to send through any questions you have through to our Instagram at grabthetrace. If you could also take some time to rate, review, subscribe and share, that would be immensely helpful. As I mentioned earlier, if you do any written reviews, We'll read them out on the show. Please send through questions. I loved last episode being able to to rattle off. Thanks, Jesse and Ben. I think that was great. Michaela, thank you very much for your time this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time.